So, uh, yes, Happy New Year. Uh, great to, to see you all here. Um, I, I need to ask you to do me a favor, if you would. Would you, if you listen right now, I, I need you to do me a favor. Uh, our church, actually, we're in, we're in the midst of uh, uh, just doing some visioning and, uh, you know, thinking about some goals and strategies for this new year and all. And uh, one of the things that we need, we need your input. So you're going to see, if you're on our church emailing list, you're going to see in the next few weeks, uh, it might not even be for a week or two yet, but you're going to see in your inbox uh, an email, and that email is going to have a link in there, a little explanation and a link in there to a, a survey monkey kind of thing. Everybody familiar with that? You click on that link, and then you fill out, you fill out uh, th this survey. And, and I want to warn you, the survey has like 100 or 110 questions. Okay, but don't don't think, oh, my goodness, 100 budget. You know, it's one of those things you just click. You use your mouse and and, and everything's real short. Just a, a quick question. And then you have like three options. You can just click, 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 click. Hopefully you can get through it in like 15 minutes or so. So I'm just giving you a heads up. And please, please, when you see that, don't ignore it. Don't delete it. Okay, but, but please, we want your feedback as we do some visioning and strategizing uh, for the future together. So uh, you could help me out there. I would appreciate it if you would give us that feedback. Also, uh, I just want to take a, a quick moment and talk about the Israel trip. I'm going to be going to Israel for the fourth time, hard to believe, uh, this coming November, end of October into November. Uh, we're just clarifying some of the details, the cost and uh, the exact date and just all, all those details. And in a week or two, I'm going to actually have a hard copy where I can uh, put it out there. And, and, and even by, by email, I'll be able to send it to you. So if you are at all interested in learning about maybe going on this trip with me. Uh, some of you already told me you want to go, and that's great. And we'll be going with another pastor friend of mine in a group, and we've done this three times before. Uh, it's so exciting. So if you're at all interested in the Israel trip, let me know. Let me know, and, and we'll do some communicating regarding that. This year, I want to I talk to you as we start this first Sunday of the new year. I want to talk about five prayers that will change your life. Five prayers that will change your life. For the next five weeks, we're going to be looking at different chapters in the book of Psalms. And Psalm 23 is one of them. And Becca was, was, was praying and, and referring to Psalm 23. We're going to look at that in, in a few weeks. But we're going to look at five prayers in, in the book of Psalms, five prayers that you and I need to adopt as our own. And these are five prayers that can change our lives. I was reading where it was common for farmers in the Midwest to prepare for blizzards by tying a rope to the back door of their house, out to the barn in the winter times, during the storms and the blizzards, because there are actually some sad stories where a farmer, he leaves his house and he's just going to go 50 yards or 100 yards out to the barn and the blizzard is so fierce and so strong that he actually is just disoriented and blinded by the wind and the cold and the snow that he actually wanders around out in his own yard and freezes to death. I mean, it's just incredible. There are these sad stories of people dying literally steps from their own home. So they learned, you know, especially back in the day, they learned that if they tie a rope from their house out to the barn, they can follow that rope. They can do their work out in the barn. They can follow that rope and get safely back and not get disoriented. And when I thought, when I, when I read about that story, I thought, wow. What, what a metaphor for life, because life can be like a blizzard. In fact, right now you might be feeling you're in the midst of a storm, in the midst of a blizzard, and you feel disoriented. 
and, and you're like, man, I've, I feel like I've lost my way. You might feel like you're out in the cold and you're freezing, maybe spiritually, spiritually cold. You just kind of feel lost and disoriented. And what I want you to know as we start off this new year is that God is offering you a rope. God is offering you a rope. God can help you find your way again. And what is that rope? That rope is prayer and Scripture. Scripture and prayer. Prayer and Scripture are the two strands woven together in this rope that will keep you safe that will guide you and keep you from getting disoriented, keep you from getting lost, and will bring you back home safely. My goal in this series is to get you into prayer and into Scripture this new year. It's your rope. It can literally be your salvation. It is God's way, God's rope, His way of keeping us close to Him and keeping us on track and not lost and finding our way back home. Just a couple quick scriptures. Colossians 4.2, the Apostle Paul says, Devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful. Devote yourselves to prayer. Does that sound like it should be important? Devote yourselves to prayer. In Luke 18, we read, Jesus told his disciples a parable to show them that they should always pray and not give up. Here's Jesus. He knows us, doesn't he? He knows our tendency is to give up. Well, I prayed. That didn't work. Guess I'll quit praying. Jesus knew our tendency to give up on prayer. He, and he tells them, goes on to give them a parable. You should always pray. Don't give up. He, over in Luke 5, Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. So Jesus, Paul, they, 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 they go by example. They model it for us. And they give a strong teaching that we should be devoted to prayer. So will you do this? This is God's rope for you. Some of you, maybe you have been Christians for decades. And you know that you should meditate more. You know that you should get into Scripture and prayer more. And someday, tomorrow, well, tomorrow becomes today. Today becomes yesterday. And here you are years later, and you still haven't developed a habit of prayer and Scripture. And then you wonder why you get spiritually dry. You wonder why you get spiritually lost. You wonder why you, life can be like a blizzard and you just get so disoriented. Hold on to the rope. My goal this year is to get you into prayer and into Scripture. Will you do this this year? In, in fact, uh, I want you to know we have a, a prayer warrior breakfast. You know, we have like, I don't know, 60-some prayer warriors, prayer partners. And, and uh, they, they pray for me, and we get together on occasion. A couple of Saturdays from now, on, on I believe Saturday, January 19th, we're having a big breakfast together. And, and I say big. It's going to be a big breakfast together. John Taylor is, uh, John's here. John, stand up, will you? Everybody just give John a round of applause here. John heads up our prayer ministry, and he also heads up, uh, he's, he's vitally involved in the men's ministry, and, and every Saturday, first Saturday of the month, he and some guys, they go up to Flint. They go to My Brother's Keeper. Yesterday, uh, I went with them. Uh, yesterday morning, we got up real early, got up there, and made breakfast for, for these homeless guys in a homeless shelter called My Brother's Keeper. And uh, in fact, I posted some pictures online to, on Facebook. If you're onto that, you can see some pictures there. I was so inspired by these guys. And, uh, and so they're used to making this breakfast. In fact, we're chopping up the potatoes and the peppers and, and making the eggs and, and, and all this. And I'm like, and, some, and the toast and everything. And I'm like, can I have some of this? 
I mean, I mean this, this is good stuff, man. I got to go. I got to get me a big breakfast this morning. So we're going to have a big breakfast at the Prayer Warrior breakfast on Saturday the 19th. And then I'm going to teach on prayer and, and uh, we're going to pray together. So, and, so develop prayer. Become a prayer warrior. Also, if you need a plan, there are all kinds of Bible reading plans. I've often told you about version. Bible reading apps. Just go to your Play Store. You can download. Uh, there's just hundreds of different Bible apps. Uversion, Y-O-U. That's the one I use. It's it's so easy and it's so good. All kinds of Bible reading plans. All kinds of Bible translations on it. And uh, and and if you still have a like an old-fashioned Bible that's actually still paper with, with cover on it, you know, you could get one of those and get in to God's Word. Scripture and prayer, it'll change your life. Okay, let's jump in. Five prayers that will change your life. Turn your Bibles with me to Psalm chapter 1. Psalm chapter 1. And and as we jump into this series, I want to give you a little introduction to the book of Psalms. Okay? Did you know? Here's just a couple bullet points, information on the Psalms. Psalms is found in the Old Testament, and it's the largest book in the Bible. Did you know that? Psalms is the largest book in the Bible. In fact, there's 150 psalms, and and so being large, and also it's roughly in the middle. It's in the middle of the Bible. So if you do have an old-fashioned paper Bible, you know, if it's digital, it's kind of different. You just press buttons. But, you know, if you have a Bible and you kind of just look in the middle of the Bible and open it up to the middle, it'll fall right to one of the psalms. And so it's easy to find. There are 150 different psalms. And there are also five books. I bet some of you don't know this. Did you know that within the book of Psalms, there are what they what we call five books? Five books within the Psalms. For example, chapters 1 through 41, book 1. 42 through 72, book 2. 73 through 89, book 3. 90 through 106, book 4. And book 5 is 107 through 150. Five different books in the, in the book of Psalms. And, and we could get into why is that and what's the differences and all that, but some say just as Moses wrote five books of the Old Testament, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, what, what we call the Torah or the Pentateuch, that part of the Old Testament, they say David wrote five books for the book of Psalms. Interesting. So today we're looking at Psalm chapter 1, and Psalm 1 is a prayer for happiness. Psalm 1 is a prayer for happiness. So I want to ask you today as we we jump into this, are you happy? Get honest with yourself. Are you happy? I am talking especially, I'm talking to everybody, but I'm talking especially to the many of us in this room right now who are Christians. You would say, yes, I'm a Christian. I believe in Jesus. I believe in God. I believe in the Bible. I've been a Christian for a long, long time. Yes, yes, yes. I want you to ask yourself this as we go through this message. Am I fundamentally and consistently a happy person? And if not, how come? I want you to ask yourself this. So as you hear me this morning, I don't want you to be sitting there saying, I already know this. I already know Psalm 1. Read Psalm 1 many times. I already know it. I've already heard Greg talk on happiness many times over the years. I already know. Don't, Don't be saying that. Don't be sitting there saying, I already know this. I want you to be asking yourself, if I already know this, am I basically and fundamentally a happy person? And if not, why? All right? Keep asking yourself that question. So let's read Psalm 1, and then we'll work our way through it. Psalm chapter 1, just very short. David writes, blessed, or happy, and we'll get to that in a moment, blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked or stand in the way that sinners take 
or sit in the company of mockers, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord and who meditates on his law day and night. That person is like a tree planted by streams of water which yields its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do prospers. Not so the wicked. They are like chaff that the wind blows away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked leads to destruction. This is Psalm 1. Now, as, as we look at this, and we'll kind of walk our way through it, one of the things you notice right off the bat, number one, is happiness is possible. You might be sitting there right now thinking, I don't think in our world today, are you kidding me, Greg, with all the stuff going on in our world? It's not even possible anymore to be happy. Greg, if you knew the stuff going on in my life right now, it is impossible to have even a semblance of happiness. Let me tell you, whatever you're going through, whatever your circumstances are, that, that especially fundamentally and consistently, of course we have those struggles and we have those hard times. We'll talk about that in a minute. But what he's saying here is happiness is possible. Look at, look at it again. Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked or stand in the way that sinners take or sit in the company of mockers, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord and who meditates on his law day and night. Now, I want to tell you right now that the word blessed or blessed, it means happy, joyful, content, satisfied. And so this is a staggering thing. Happiness is possible. You don't have to go through life being a cynic. You don't have to go through life Generally feeling sad and mad and cynical. You don't. Scripture tells us that happiness is possible. Now, yes, there's, you know, we all go through suffering, we all go through grief, we go through disappointment. Sure, we're going to, to cry and struggle, but through it all and in it all, as a general way of life, happiness is possible. Now, you might be thinking, but Greg, look especially those of you who've been believers for a long time and done a lot of Bible study and all that, you might be looking, but Greg, look, the word says is blessed. It doesn't say happy. So Greg, don't use the word happy. Happiness is shallow. Happiness is based on circumstances. Blessedness is deep. Joy is deep. So Greg, don't use that word happy. Well, listen, this number two, happiness, like joy, can be deep or shallow. It can be shallow or deep. And as for blessedness, well, we just don't use that word much in our daily life anymore, do we? I know many Christians and pastors and even some scholars, they try to contrast our English words, joy and happiness. And they say, well, you know, happiness is just shallow. It's based on your circumstances. Joy is deep. And it's based on God alone. I get it. I get it. And, and, and I think it's important that we make some distinctions about what we're talking about when we're talking about happiness and joy and, and all of that. But did you know that just 100 years ago or 200 years ago, 300 years ago, in the English language, joy and happiness were basically synonyms. They basically were in the same realm of meaning. Like we have so many English words that basically mean the same thing and we'll use them for emphasis or maybe just slightly different uh, context. And it wasn't until like 50 or 75 years ago 
uh, especially through a guy named Oswald Chambers who wrote a devotional that was very popular, and, and some of you have actually used it, I know, and, and where he started making a distinction between joy and happiness. And then other people caught on, and other people caught on. And it, so today, in some Christian circles, it's very common to, to make a distinction between joy and happiness. And I guess you can define words however you want to, but I think we have to be careful because we can have some unintended consequences. Because the fact is, when you really look at it, in the Hebrew and in the Greek, some of the same Hebrew words and Greek words are used to describe both joy and happiness that's deep and based on God, regardless of the circumstances. And, and those same words are used to describe happiness and joy that's based on God uh, on, on thing, or even on circumstances and things that happen. And, and I, could give you, I could give you examples, but, but for the sake of time, if you really are interested in this, read Randy Alcorn's book, called Happiness. He has a whole chapter on this. It's a really good book, Randy Alcorn, called Happiness. And, and, and I could give you some, some examples, but I'm going I'm to skip over those right now, other than this one. Remember the wise men? We just came off Christmas, right? And it was about this time after Christmas that the wise men, you know, they're, they're coming to, to baby Jesus and Joseph and Mary. And, and remember how they followed the star? And you remember that classic verse says that when the wise men saw the star, they what? They rejoiced with exceedingly great joy. No, that's based on a circumstance, isn't it? They, they saw the star. They're, they're like, hmm, we, we, we know there's a, there's a Messiah being born somewhere, but how are we going to find? Where are we going to go? They saw the star and they go, ah, okay, now we can follow the star. It, it's based on a circumstance, that joy, exceedingly great joy. I could give you other examples as well. So what I'm saying is, is that joy to say that joy is deep and happiness is shallow you know, you might be able to play with that in the English, but when you really look at Scripture, the same Hebrew and Greek words, they're basically the same. And so you can have shallow happiness or shallow joy, and you can have deep happiness and deep joy. Okay, I'll quit grinding my axe on that. Okay, you get the point? Thank you for letting me get that off my chest. Okay, because I, but I think, it, I think it's kind of important. Uh, you know, number one, just to be accurate. But, but number two, how do unbelievers think? You know, you're trying to, to witness, you're trying to tell other, you know, unbelievers or skeptics about your faith in God and why you believe in God and how, how you, you know, it's great to follow Jesus. And then they hear you say things like, God doesn't care about your happiness. Really? God doesn't care about your happiness? Well, you know, why, you know, God isn't happy, you know. Well, why would I want to become a Christian? Why would I want to spend eternity with an unhappy God? You see what I'm saying? There are all kinds of implications here. We can get into that some other time. Back to Psalm 1. Thank you for letting me get that off my chest. So look at verses 3 and 4. You see happiness and shallow. You see deep happiness and shallow happiness right here. Uh, Psalm 1, 3 and 4. That person is like a tree planted by streams of water which yields its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do prospers. That's the deep happiness right there. And then you have the shallow happiness. Not so the wicked. They are like chaff that the wind blows away. He's saying here, the person who has deep happiness, this, you know, this blessed, blessed is the one who does this, is like a tree. You're like a tree planted by streams of water. And what's he saying? He's saying that deep happiness comes from being deeply rooted in God. You're rooted in His Word. You're attaching your life to Him. And you're growing in Him. And your roots are going down deep into God. The other person is like chaff. 
You know what chaff is? I grew up, uh, almost grew up on my granddad's farm, uh, and, and we just lived, a, a, you know, close by, and, and, and oftentimes I was helping my, my granddad do all kinds of things. And so, you, you know, that, that say wheat, for example. Wheat has the kernel, that's the good stuff that you eat, and then it has the chaff outside of it, the, the stuff you, you remove and you throw away. Well, b- back in Jesus' day and even back in David's day, they, they would gather, they would harvest the wheat, and they would find some way to crush it, maybe by an animal walking on it or whatever, and then they would take a pitchfork or whatever, and they would throw that, that wheat with the chaff still on it up into the air, but now it's crushed, and, and the wind is blowing, and, and the kernel is heavier than the chaff, and, and the wind blows that chaff away until you're left with just the wheat. He's saying this person is like chaff. You're, 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 you're following the wind. You're just being blown away. Some of you, some of you are chasing the chaff. Shallow happiness is when you're just chasing the chaff. You're not rooted. Some of you sitting right here right now, you're not rooted. Your number one goal in life is just yourself, and you're just going to be happy no matter what. And and, and you're just following this, and you're following that, and you're following your desires, and you're you're just, you're not rooted. You don't have any roots. You're not grounded. You're, and you're like chaff, just blowing in the wind, following whatever. Listen, if you really want to be happy, you need to put your roots down deep into God and his truth. So happiness is possible. You can be happy. You can. Happiness can be shallow or deep. It can be based on circumstances or, or it, it's best to be found in God, regardless of the circumstances. Number three, happiness is a who, not a what. Happiness is a who, not a what. Let me ask you, what makes you happy? Answer that for yourself. What makes you happy? Can I give you the answer? Can I presume to tell you what makes you happy? Nothing. Nothing makes you happy. No thing makes you happy. You already know this. If happiness is a what... You could just go out and buy your what and get happy, right? And we've all done this. You go out and buy this thing, this, this, this car, the, the, these dresses, uh, this, this house, uh, this, this video game, whatever it is. What, whatever it is, you go out and buy this what, and it makes you happy. But you know what happens. It's not long before you're asking, what else? That, that new phone, I just got a new phone. My other one was breaking down, had to get a new phone. Sure, brings me a certain kind of happiness. Oh, it's so cool, and I can do all this, and it's faster, and all that. But, but if, if I'm just basing my overall life happiness on things, and I'm always looking for the next whatever that's going to make me happy, that's the shallow kind of happiness, because you cannot base your life on a what and ultimately be happy. You have to base your life on a who. See, it's about relationships. Remember what Jesus said, the greatest commandment, love God with all your heart, soul, mind, spirit, love your neighbors. It's about love. It's about relationships. Happiness is a who, not a what. A few weeks ago when we talked about contentment, I quoted comedian Jim Carrey. Remember Jim Carrey, the he's, you know, famous comedian. He, 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 here's a quote. He says, I think everybody should get rich and famous. How many agree? He says, I think everybody should get rich and famous. And do everything they ever dreamed of so they can see that it's not the answer. Wow. 
That's Jim Carrey saying that. See, happiness is a who, not a what, which is a way of saying happiness is about relationships. It's about love. It's about people. It's about loving God. It's about loving others. That's where the happiness, the joy, the blessedness is. Number four, if you want to be happy, learn to meditate. Learn to meditate. Back to the rope. This is the rope. You've got to learn to meditate. This is the rope God has given you and me to guide us and to keep us safe even through the blizzards of life, to keep bringing us back safely home. If you want to be happy, you need to learn to meditate. Look at it again. He says, beginning of verse 2, talking about the one who's blessed, the one who's happy. He says, whose delight is in the law of the Lord, who meditates, meditates on his law day and night. That person is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do prospers. You know what meditation is? I know there's Eastern meditation. But Christian, biblical meditation is where you stop. Now, that's hard enough, isn't it? <laughs> Just to stop. And you focus on God. And you get into Scripture. You reflect. You meditate. You think. You focus on Scripture. And what is it saying to you about God? And you... Look to God and you talk with God and you ask Him questions and you, you cry out to Him and, and, and you look at your own emotions and you maybe reflect on your day and you reflect on your relationships and you reflect on all the things that are going on in your life and you bring them up to God and you talk about this and you talk about that and you say, God, am I pleasing in your sight? Am I walking in the, the way of the righteous or the way of the wicked? Am, am I pleasing to you? You see, meditation is where you face your feelings. You evaluate your emotions. You analyze your actions. You observe your behavior. And your meditation can also include praise and thanksgiving. So many of the Psalms, especially near the end of the book of Psalms, as you get towards the 150th Psalm, those last dozen or two, three dozen of the Psalms are all about praise and thanksgiving. I encourage you, read the Psalms. And make them your prayers and reflect on them and make them your words in, in your prayer time. And you, you praise and reflect. You, you, you also know that, that, that uh, many of the Psalms are complaints and laments. Aren't you glad for that? You know, so, so if you're going to complain, at least complain biblically, all right? It, turn to one of the complaining Psalms. You know, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? We're going to look at that. You know, God, why? How long? How long, God? Why did you let this happen, God? Some psalms in there that are complaining and lamenting and grieving, and you can use those psalms. So this is how you meditate. Well, what I'm saying right here is this. This is the rope. This is the secret to life change. To life change. This is how you can, this is the path to happiness. Some of you are in a drought right now. A spiritual drought, a financial drought, a relational drought. And it's hard. Life, life is so hard for you right now. And I'm not talking about a superficial plastic smile, happiness. No, no, no. You may be crying. You may be hurting. You may be grieving. That's okay. Jesus cried. Jesus wept. The Apostle Paul struggled. But what I'm saying is that you can get your roots down deep. And through meditation, through prayer and scripture, 
and get your it, so that even when there's a drought above ground and your life is maybe that swirling blizzard, you have your roots, you have that rope, and it's keeping you connected and safe in his arms. So as we pre prepare for communion in just a few moments, here's the question for you. Will you choose this? Will you choose this? You see, if you want to be happy, you've got to choose it. You've got to choose it. Look again, Psalm 1. Blessed or happy is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked or stand in the way that sinners take or sit in the company of mockers, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord and who meditates on his law day and night. That person is like a tree planted by streams of water which yields its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do prospers. David is saying here, there's a path to happiness. There's some things you don't do and some things you do. And one of the things you don't do is you don't walk in step with the wicked or stand in the way that sinners take or sit in the company of mockers. This is a Hebrew way. It's a metaphor of, of, of talking about your lifestyle. You're walking, you're standing, you're sitting. You see, you just never, you don't just fall into sin. You, you don't just fall into it. You walk into it. You stand around it for a while. Then you sit down next to it. And then you walk into it. You, you don't just fall into it. And, and I know, I get this. Sin is not a big deal today. Lots of people don't even believe that there's such a thing as, as sin. I, in fact, I believe one of the biggest problems in Christianity today and in churches today is that there are many people who say they are Christians, claim, profess to be Christians, and yet they are living in rank disobedience to Christ. How in the world can you say you are, you are a Christ follower if you're not following Christ? If you're not obeying Him? You see, sin is a big deal to God, and it should be to us. Wow, you say, Greg, what's the big deal about sin? Well, it's this. God designed us. He wired us in a certain way. And he knows how we function best. And when we defy or ignore his design for us, we, we hurt ourselves. In fact, here are real quickly three things that sin does to us. We think that sin will make us happy. If I really want to be happy, I'm sorry, at this point I've got to disobey God and I've got to do this. I've got to follow my will, not his. That's basically what sin is. And what happens is when you sin, three things happen. See, sin always separates it always substitutes, and it always slays. That's what sin does. It separates, substitutes, and slays. You know, for example, it separates. Sin breaks down your relationships. So you have a relationship, and you sin. And you can define sin however you want, but sin, you know, you're not loving them properly. You're, you know, you, you have some kind of moral code that you shouldn't do something, but you do it anyway. Define it how you want to. So maybe you lied to your friend. Maybe you cheat them. If it's your spouse, maybe you cheat on them. What happens? What does that sin do? It separates. It causes a rift in the relationship. Remember, happiness is a who, not a what. And so, so now you have a separation in this who, and, and you're not happy. They're not happy. Sin also substitutes. It not only separates, but it substitutes. In fact, that's what sin is, basically. It's a substitute for the real thing. So instead of having loving, meaningful sex with your spouse, you substitute that with pornography or an affair 
that's what sin is. It's substituting, trying to find happiness in the wrong kinds of ways. It, you might substitute that hobby, that, that car, those dresses, that house, that achievement, those drugs. You see, sin is a cheap substitute for happiness. Sin makes a happy promise that it cannot keep. So if you let it go too long, what happens is this sin that is separating, causing all this division in your life, in your relationships, this sin where you're substituting other things for the real thing, what happens is if you follow that path long enough, it will slay you. It will kill you. It ends in death. It might be the death of that relationship. It'll be the death of your happiness. might be the death of their happiness. And it can ultimately be the ultimate death where you're separated from God forever. So sin, it, it's a substitute. And, and it will slay you. This is why it's a big deal. So as we prepare for communion in just a moment, this is where you have a choice. You have a choice to make. Which, which way are you going to go? Which path are you going to walk? As we start this new year, first Sunday of the new year, I'm asking you, which choice are you going to make? Which path are you going to walk? Which way are you going to go? And be very clear, I'm not asking you this morning, when I say choose happiness, if you want to, if you want to be blessed, you have to choose happiness. No, I'm not saying make happiness the number one priority in your life because the fact is happiness is always a byproduct of other things. Whenever you see the word blessed in Scripture, you just go through them and, and, and read them. And, and, and you'll never find Scripture saying, blessed is the one who seeks blessedness. No, 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 no. In fact, think of Jesus, Matthew 5, and all the blesseds in Matthew 5, the Beatitudes. Remember what he says? He said, blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness. So don't make happiness your number one thing. No, no. You make righteousness, knowing God, loving God, loving others. Remember, happiness is a who, not a what. You make that your priority. And then happiness will come along on your journey. There's a great Hebrew parable that basically tells you this. God is like the light. Prosperity, happiness, is, is like the shadow. If you turn towards the light and follow the light, the shadow follows you. But if you turn from the light and you follow the shadow and you try to chase the shadow, you can never catch it. So you have a choice. You see, the shadow is, is, a, is the cheap substitute. The shadow is the lie. If I make, if I make my happiness that shallow kind of happiness, all these what's out here, if I can just have this and achieve that and, and have this experience and all that, and I, and I chase and I chase and I chase, I'm never going to catch it. And I might enjoy something for a little while, but it doesn't last. But if I turn towards the light, if I turn towards God and make Him number one and central, and I'm going to walk in His ways, and I'm going to follow Him, the happiness is there.